Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 292 of Selling the Couch. I hope that you're doing awesome and having a great day. So today's podcast session is with a friend from childhood, Amy Giovanni. And the topic is writing a children's book. Amy had posted on Facebook uh, probably a couple of weeks ago the release of her brand new book, which is called Mira's Flowers. And this is a book that is all about, oh, I'll read the the description, uh, which basically says, it was Friday afternoon at school and Mira could hardly contain her excitement. She couldn't wait to get home and start helping her mom and dad with preparations for Saturday's Ornum celebration. All of her friends and family would come together to celebrate what was known as South India's Harvest Festival. And so the really, I wanted it when Amy posted that, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to have a conversation about this because I think I've shared this, but one of the ideas that I've been marinating on is actually writing a children's book. I know nothing about this process. And one, I wanted to have this conversation uh, just to learn a little bit more about the process and to really understand like what goes into it. And Amy's written two books. So the other book is More Than Words, a book about body language. And this whole book is all about, it explores the world of body language and feelings. But it's always the really interesting thing is these are ethnically diverse characters. And they and, and so it's just a unique perspective. Amy is actually a former first grade teacher. And so she was inspired by just watching her students and some of the things that they were going through. And then also just the byproduct of growing up in in the cultural context that she grew up in. So today we're going to cover a number of different things. And the first one is the idea for both Mira's Flowers and More Than Words. Where did this come from? And we're going to get into this idea of the creative process and how Amy is able to capture ideas, how she's able to like not dismiss ideas. Um, it's a very interesting system and uh, one that I think you will really benefit from, especially maybe you don't have a book in you, but maybe you have a blog post idea or a podcast idea, or you want to launch an online course. And if you're like me, a lot of times you can be like, you know, that's uh, a good idea, but maybe here's 20 reasons why that's not a good idea. And then we get into this traditional versus self-publishing and the process and sort of the things to think about in terms of whichever route that you go. And yeah, and just some of those things to really consider and think about. And then we wrap up with 
What was the hardest part of writing a book like this, especially in the middle of a pandemic? More than words, her first book uh, was released actually right when the pandemic started, and then Mira's Flowers was released uh, recently. And the thing I also want to mention is both of these both of these books are actually dyslexic inclusive, and so they, you know, it's just. Uh, It's an amazing thing, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. So here's my conversation with Amy Giovanni from amygiovanni.com. Hey, friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Amy, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you for having me. It's crazy. One knowing you all of these years, and then just to see how our lives and careers and all of these things have evolved. Uh, who would have guessed we'd be talking on a podcast when we were, you know, teenagers and in our young 20s, right? This is true. This is true. Times have changed. Times have changed. You've been extremely busy just on multiple realms of life. And I feel like, one, I'm, I'm so happy and proud of you uh, just for everything that you're doing. I saw you know, just on Facebook that you were posting about your newest book. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I want, because I I don't know if actually we've never talked about this. One of my goals is to eventually write a children's book. I have zero idea uh, because, well, we have a a little one, a daughter, she's three. We do daddy daughter days on Fridays. And so I think the premise of that will be that. So all the adventures we have, but I mean, I saw the post and I was like, man, it's amazing. So I wanted to hear Mirror's Flowers. Where did that inspiration come from? So I feel like with Mirror's Flowers, I took on uh, kind of my mom brain a little bit. My idea was to provide a book that I wanted to exist for my kids. You know, I feel like growing up, there was a little bit uh, lacking on the cultural side for children's bookshelves. And so being able to just contribute to that and making sure that, you know, when my child walks into a library, they can pick up the book. They see someone that looks familiar. They see words like Amachi and Pupperdum used in a book. You know, that's, that's huge because I feel like growing up, it just, it didn't happen very often, you know? And then even growing up, I do feel like Ornum was one of those holidays that was mentioned, but people didn't really know about it. You think about Indian holidays, you think about Diwali and Holi, which is awesome that platform's been established for those holidays. But I just wanted to make sure that we were giving some light to something specific to South Indian culture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even Ornam, I remember like, we'd always have that question of like, what is the exact backstory of Ornam? We would try to be explaining it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And so for those of you guys who are listening, Amaji is grandmother, is the word for grandmother. And then uh, Papadam is, I guess, what is it? Like a, it's like a fried flatbread. I'm sure that's incorrect on technical terms, but I think that's the closest description that you could have. Yeah, it's close enough. And it's typically given like as a, like an add to like rice, right? You add it to 
And it's interesting that you bring up the story of Ornum because to be totally honest, I didn't know the extent of the details until I started doing uh, research for this book. And it was a task to take that story and put it into kid-friendly language. Because again, this was a story that I heard bits and pieces of um, growing up, but just being able to put that into kid-friendly language was truly a task. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but like, I feel like something like Ornum was like talked about, but I feel like especially, I don't know if it's like as our generation is gets older, I feel like a lot of people are doing like proper Ornum celebrations. Yes. I, I do think that our generation is trying so hard to hold on to those traditions because, you know, speaking for myself, I do feel like what my kids are growing up with, the culture that they're growing up with is a little, is much more watered down than what I grew up with. You know, so being able to have accessibility to these books and to these traditions, I think that is what is going to keep that culture alive. You know, I'm not able to speak the language as well as my parents were, but just having those resources, I think it really helps. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've spoken to multiple people who have said, you know, they want to write a book, right? A children's book, even. It's one thing to like think about this in your mind. How in the world do you make a leap from, you know, something that's in your mind to actually like being like, hey, maybe I could be the one that writes this. Like what was, you know, I was just kind of curious about, you know, what the process was in your mind. I'm really glad you asked this question because I feel like that is a comment I get a lot of the time is, you know, I would love to write a book myself. Do you have any advice? So yeah, I always say that my biggest piece of advice is that this process is definitely not for the faint of heart. And I say that just because you want to make sure that you're creating something that you can champion. The writing process and the compiling of illustrations, you know, that's one aspect of this. But if you are going a traditional publishing route, it's definitely it's a process where your talents, your creation, anything that you created is getting tested. So yeah, if, if I were to start at the beginning of the process, it always starts with storyboarding, right? These ideas come from somewhere. My first book, More Than Words, was a book about body language and emotions. I got that idea in the classroom. And so I was having some issues with my first graders picking fights with each other, <laughs> to be completely honest. And a lot of times my talking points were, hey, I want you to look at you know Jane's body language right now. Does she look happy or does she look angry? How should you react based on those you know, aspects that you're seeing, those characteristics that you're seeing? And then during this time, I remember I was on the lookout for a book that could help me hit that concept home, and I just wasn't finding it. So in my head, my thought process was, well, fine, I'll write that myself. So yeah, my whole point in writing that book was to be able to create something that helps students identify facial features and associate them with emotions. And then also providing a rhyme that allowed them to think, hey, these body language aspects are associated with body language. I'm sorry, with emotions. So I want to keep that in mind before I react and so that I can also empathize. So when I was writing that book, the storyboarding took about six to eight months. From there, I started my beginning sketches and created all of the illustrations for the book, which was a task in itself because I am... Wait, you actually, I didn't realize that you actually did the, the actual... I did the rough sketches. Yes. And then from there, I hired a graphic artist to help me with creating a digital version of those sketches. I am not an artist by any means. A lot of it was Googling 
angry eyes and how do I create an annoyed face? So it was very basic in the way that I created it. So from there, I got a graphic designer to help me with the actual compiling of the entire book. So from there, it came time to champion that book. So again, like I said before, whatever you create, make sure it is the best thing that you can put out there and that you are ready to represent that book. I feel like I'm not really a salesman by any means. So it was a little difficult, you know, writing these cold letters to publishing agents and to publishing companies telling them, Hey, like, you're definitely going to want to sign my book. Here are my A, B, and C reasons why. And to be honest, I think I wrote a total of, I want to say almost a 130 personalized letters. And I got about 96 rejections for that book. So when I say it's not for the faint of heart, the only reason I say that is you've got to have some resiliency before you get into this field. If you want to go the the traditional publishing route, it's definitely possible. But again, you just have to champion whatever you've created. How do you not let those rejections, like, how do you not personalize them? Oh, it was awful. (laughs) It was so awful. I remember. I would think because especially the genre too, right? Like it's a children's book. Right. And I feel like I went, you know, as those rejections came in, I went through that roller coaster of emotions of, oh, this product is awful. Why? What was I even thinking trying to put this book out there? And then you get that one letter that reaches out a hand, giving you a chance. And it's like so incredibly validating to feel that even though it's the, the percentage is so against you. Yeah. It was just, it was an amazing feeling when I got that letter. And from there, to be honest, when you work with a traditional publisher, they take care of almost everything, you know, from the printing to the compiling, to the putting it out in major retailers and bookstores from there. It's just about me promoting and getting started on the following book. Right. So uh, a couple of questions there. So one, how did you even like find these publishers? So with that, there's actually something called Publishers Marketplace and you uh, end up paying a monthly fee, but it gives you access to uh, different publishers, agents based on the genre that you've written for. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this information was very unknown. It's almost like it seemed like a little bit of a closed club when I first started this process I took a lot of research and watching videos and blogs and hearing about other people's process to actually see the inner workings of finding a publisher. And what was the process like? What was the thought process of doing the traditional publishing route versus like self publishing? I'm sure probably weighed that a lot. I did. And, you know, self publishing is so much less of a headache because of the fact that you're not having to deal with those rejections. But like I said before, I am not a salesman by any means. And I found it difficult to to create the opportunities to really sell my book. And so I wanted to make sure that if I went the traditional publishing route, that I could have someone take care of that for me, for getting my books in stores. And you know that part to me seemed very daunting. And again, people who go through self-publishing, I give them major props because I feel like you're having to wear many different hats when you go through that process. And it's just something that I felt that I wasn't ready to do. Absolutely. Again, like a silly question. So you said like storyboards, like, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I I understand that abstractly. Is this like, I mean, do you do this? Like, is there other websites, like apps out there? Or you kind of like actually take a 
physical board and you storyboard? (laughs) I should have been more specific with that. Think of almost like a comic strip and it's empty and you're filling in the places, you're filling in the progression. I carry a notebook with me everywhere I go in my purse. Anytime I have an idea, I'll start storyboarding in that. It's like a mini um, sketchbook. And so through that, um, I'll either write down lists of ideas. It looks like a crazy person wrote in it because sometimes I'll get ideas at, you know, 3am and I'll write them down. (laughs) But from there, you know, I can do just like the progression of events, the rhymes that I have in mind, just a very rough outline of what to expect for the actual book. That's cool. I don't think any of that's crazy at all. I literally this morning, I Googled shower notebooks because I mean, it is, I think there's some truth to that, right? Like when we're passively doing something else, just how our brain sort of comes up with and generates these ideas, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. So you mentioned this briefly, um, you were teaching first grade until like the end of the 2020 school year, right? And I don't know, the thing I kept thinking was, just like, what a cool experience to have like a, a lab almost, right? Where you can generate some of these ideas. Uh, and I was just wondering, like, curious, like, I don't know, did you anticipate that? Like, you know, what was that like? I mean, just because you're like a teacher and you're like simultaneously a potential author, like there's ideas and things, right? Yeah, I do feel like I was very blessed to be in a job where, you know, it was encouraged to use your creative side. So it's almost like I noticed that with my students, I could teach a lesson all that I wanted. But the problem with first graders is information recall isn't as fun unless you're incorporating it into a memorable experience. You know, so it could be a lesson about letters or numbers or emotions, for example. And I noticed anytime I would just pull a story out from the back of my mind, whether fictional or not, (laughs) I was able to hit that concept home. So, you know, just the number of stories that I was having to kind of circulate in my brain and just so on demand, I think it really helped with creating a product for an actual book. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Nerdy question here. (laughs) Do you do like any like sort of creativity sort of exercises, books like, you know, like where does the creativity come from and how do you harness that and hone that and all those things? You know, it's interesting. It kind of brings back, brings me back to what you were saying about how in the shower, your best thoughts come. I definitely tried to put my creativity on a schedule where, you know, every morning I would work out. And then for an hour afterward, I would go sit at my desk and tell myself, this is writing time. I'm going to be diligent about getting something on paper. But then I realized as soon as I implemented structure into it, the creativity was lost. It was just me organizing my desk or my schedule at times, and nothing would really be produced in that hour. I noticed that it actually needed to be my brain at rest to be able to create. So whether that be after the kids go to bed and I'm just reading a book, or if I'm working out or going on a walk actually has been the best place for me to cultivate the most you know, ideas that actually have something worth pursuing. I just noticed that when my brain was at rest during those times, those were when most of my best ideas were coming up. So even now, like I have these ideas for books and they're all kept track of now in a note in my phone. And there are a few that I've, you know, actually tugged on the strings for because it seems like there's something worth pursuing there. Some of the ideas are 
I'm not sure what I was thinking <laughs> on some of them. <laughs> but I think that's, I mean, there's like a key nuance to that, right? Like you actually took the time to write it down. And even if it was like, you didn't do the filtering, right? Which I think a lot of us do. We're like, oh, okay, here's an idea. Oh, that's a dumb idea. I'm not going to write that down. But it's like you just wrote it down without judgment. And then later you can sort of, I guess, hit the backspace on it, right? Right. Well, so I actually keep all of the ideas because there have been some that I've revisited and said, oh, that's dumb. I'm not pursuing that. But then I revisited about, you know, three to four months later and it's like, well, hold on, there might be something here, you know? So just being able to give yourself that creative space to think and to produce, I think, you know, I wish I had told myself that sooner because for the longest time I was trying to create a discipline of it and it just fell very short. Yeah. And I think like, you're right. Like creativity is such an interesting thing. Like it's something that comes, it can't be quite harnessed. And I think you just said that like so well earlier about how our minds and our bodies really need to be like at rest in order to optimize. I try to do like a daily hike or, you know, at 1 p.m. And I notice like it's the same thing. Like I form these connections and things like that, that you don't even normally think about, right? Like if I was sitting in front of a computer. Right. Yeah. Just shifting a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, you shared the process of writing this book. What's been like the hardest part of writing these two books? I think one aspect of it was definitely getting publishers to see the quality in what you've created. I do think, like I said before, it really gets tested. So that's one aspect of it. Releasing a book during a pandemic is an entirely different aspect of it. Um, More Than Words was released in, I believe, April of 2020. And it was a mess. (laughs) It was just, it was difficult because, you know, even with the printing process, you know, you have people that are working from home and you have people that are scared to go in and, you know, it's a lot of miscommunication just because of the circumstance. And then even promoting the book, it was non-existent. You know, the most I could do was promote online, but even then, you know, when you have these bigger issues going on, sometimes it felt trivial to be promoting yourself, you know? So I felt myself at odds at times because, you know, it just seemed like there was just so much going on in the world and there still is, you know? And so having to find that time to say like, Hey, look at me. I I wrote a book. Like You should check it out. You know? And it was just such an interesting balance of you know, trying to find that. But with Mira's Flowers, thankfully, you know, things were kind of starting to calm down, even though they still are going on. But being able to do a book release with, you know, socially distanced practices and masks, like it was awesome to see that and to be able to celebrate something that you worked for. So yeah, I would say just a, like the circumstances at the time of release and then the the publishing aspect, definitely the most difficult parts of the process. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> I'm sure these none of these publishers had a manual on how to release a book in the middle of a pandemic, right? So, yeah, I mean, it just it speaks to just. I mean, I, I think such resilience. You know, I'm like constantly. I keep saying that, but it's just so admirable uh, the amount of resilience you must you have and you know must have had, particularly through that process. You know, so final question this might be again a really silly question, but how do you handle like? the sort of celebrity that comes with this? <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself that. Well, you know, I feel like, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm curious. 
You know, it's funny because I feel like after I got married and my name changed, I almost disassociated with my maiden name, you know, Amy Varghese, because that personality almost was associated with when I was trying to pursue music. And yeah, it's been interesting that, you know, when I see this name, when I see Amy Giovanni, it's like, oh, like, oh, by the way, like I did publish two books. It's just, it doesn't feel real to be completely honest, you know, and my husband will mention that too. He's like, wow, like you've, you did it. You published two books. I'm like, yeah, but I feel like there's just, there could be more, you know, and I, it doesn't feel legit yet. If I'm being totally honest, I feel like I need to have a few more books under my name before I feel too legit. Yeah. I mean, one, I think you're being very modest and very humble, but you know, but that's you. So, and it's like, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, I think that's also what I imagine makes you a really good author, right? Cause you're, you're always striving, right. And, and trying to get better. And so, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Where can we learn more about you, more about the books and get in touch and all of those things. Yeah. If you uh, visit my website, www.amygiovanni.com, there are options to purchase the book from different vendors, both books, actually. I keep forgetting that. I, I'll say one book and then I'm like, wait, nope, there's two books there. <laughs> and then just a little bit about me and you know what inspired me to write these stories and then just upcoming events that might be happening. Awesome. Um, Amy, thank you again for this time and uh, really grateful for you and uh, grateful that we were able to connect today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amy and especially if you have been wanting to write a children's book or write a book. I hope that today's podcast session uh, just gives you some encouragement. I know that in just speaking to Amy, I think the thought of writing and releasing a children's book, I think it becomes a little bit more cemented in my mind. And yeah, it's just such an amazing thing to think about. And yeah, uh, and Amy, I, if you're listening, I'm just, again, just wanted to publicly just share just how happy and proud I am of you, uh, just for all of the awesome stuff that you're doing in the world. Amy's two books, again, called Mira's Flowers and More Than Words, a book about body language, uh, can be found on her website, which is over at amygiovanni.com. As I was uh, just reflecting on this conversation, I think the one thing that I took one is just the amount of resilience that one needs to write a children's book. Uh, just even thinking about things like storyboards and stuff. I mean, all of this stuff is like completely unfamiliar to me. So it was really nice just to be able to hear hear about that. And then I think the other thing is, you know, not dismissing. Uh, a simple idea that you might have, but instead trying to figure out a way to get it down because it, you know, the initial version of that idea may be unpolished, but there may be new connections and new perspectives that you have later that helps you to look at that initial idea in a different light. And so I hope that you're able to do that. And yeah. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in 
launching an online course. You can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.